1: what's up everybody welcome inside the guilty as charged podcast appreciate you tuning in early on a saturday uh my name is steven i am your host and joining me are my guys tyler and alex tyler we'll start with you man how are you doing today
2: doing very well just saw dr strange the multiverse of madness last night and it was great but the real variant storyline of the week is steven kyle van noy (laughs) and (laughs) all the variant stuff going on there what's up with that man which earth are you from uh
1: I think he's from the opposite earth man. I think he's he's the multiversal, you know, traveler that's coming to earth to Honestly, man, it was like so funny because obviously it's a bit now like people are just messing with me, you know, but there were like legitimately like four or five people after he signed that were like this guy looks just like you, Stephen. I'm like, "The hell?" Like
2: California's half black, man. <laughs> yeah, the Wuhoy one was kind of like, "Okay, they have beards and, you know, they're bigger guys like maybe but kyle van noy really (laughs) does look like you though Uh, um yes it was it was a surprise for sure
3: yeah uh, i i had never like looked up a picture of kyle van noy but i saw it and i'm like oh my god like the nose the beard like it just the facial and he also kind of has that thing where like his head sort of like goes inward like (laughs) it was just kind of a head goes inward a little bit, like kind of the shape up was pretty similar. I don't know, but you definitely do look a little like Kyle Van Noy. Uh and so yeah, I'm I'm Hunter Henry, uh, Tyler's young way Koo. So yeah, we we all have our our lookalikes.
2: Yeah, I had a lot of options to choose from. Yeah, you do. So <laughs> either many. either Koo or Mackay It is one of those two. <laughs> hey,
1: Kyler Murray's got a little Asian in him, supposedly. He Damn does. Yeah,
2: I, actually, Kyle Hamilton. I think I'm Kyle Hamilton
3: now. There you go. Wait, Makai Beckson's agent? No, I'm
2: joking. I, oh. joking. <laughs> I, th-
3: I thought there was a chance like he was one of those five percenters, and you just said it. I don't know, but <laughs>
1: no. <laughs> Tyler just chooses to this six eight massive human being. I respect it. I respect it. So <laughs> uh, obviously, we're doing our usual Sunday show live on Saturday because of Mother's Day. So I want to do. I uh, wish all the mom, moms out there happy Mother's Day, and uh, you know, make sure you guys celebrate your mothers as much as they deserve. So, um, that being said, we have a, a good show obviously planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about <laughs> my evil twin signing, if you will, Kyle Lannoy, uh, and the Chargers' decision to bring him in, and then we'll also analyze kind of where the depth chart is at after the draft, after these last two signings. Um, you know, we're going to have some predictions and things like that. So, we're going to get uh, a lot of Post draft analysis looks like Tyler has some uh, Kyle Van Noy clips ready to go, so we'll we'll get into that. Um, Alex, we'll start with you, man. Your initial reaction to the Chargers' decision to sign uh, Kyle Van Noy.
3: Yeah, I mean it, it. It made a lot of sense. He was one of those players uh, that was. I'm kind of like, oh, he's still available. <laughs> like I sort of thought just in my head, like, oh, he's going back to the Patriots or something along those lines. But he was available, and Chargers uh, took him, much like when Bryce Callahan was available. I was like, oh, okay. There's the best slot corner in the league, who just happens to be available. Um, so for for me, I thought it was a really great signing. I, you know, even though. I know the Chargers do believe in Chris Rumpf. It's kind of like Tyler said, I just don't think you could go into the season with him as your edge three with the, uh, you know, injury problems that both Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa have had in the past and sort of relying on him despite kind of like not knowing what he is yet. You know, I think this takes the pressure off of him. Obviously, he'll still play some reps this season. Uh, but it gives him a little bit more time to develop, and then you know, if Kyle Van Noy does depart next year, then I, the hope would be by then I think Kyle uh, that Chris Romp could take over Edge Three, and I think that's a little bit more realistic given a development timeline. Um, but I think it's a really fantastic signing, and we've also talked about uh, particularly last season, you know, Joey Bosa or uh, you know Uchenna Nwosu, right, when he was on the team. Uh, dropping in a coverage. And it was sort of like mm-hmm. they're kind of not really equipped to do that, right? Like, obviously, they do it on some uh, snaps, but Kyle Van Noy is a guy who can either rush the passer, or drop in a coverage, do whatever you want him to do, right? And I think he's a very versatile defender in in the way that Staley wants. Uh, and it makes you feel, even though he's going to primarily be p- playing edge, let's say 75 80% of the snaps, it makes you feel a little bit better about the linebacker room as well. Uh, just because you know, if something were to happen to Kenneth Murray, if something, if someone does go and in, get injured, you have the option to kind of play Kyle Van Noy there as well and relieve some of the pressure off of that unit with the obviously the departure of Kaiser White. So for me, the the fact that he's kind of the perfect Swiss Army knife for the Brandon Staley defense, the fact that he can play uh, effectively at two levels, really. Um, uh, I think that that's really all you wanted out of an edge three signing. I thought they would go for someone that was a little bit more one dimensional, right? Like uh, JPP was brought up, maybe bring Melvin Ingram back. But this is a guy that I think is going to be primarily edge for this team, but can do uh, so many more things than that. And I think he's the perfect edge three, edge two and a half, as, as Tyler put it on Twitter uh, and can kind of rotate in with Joey Boso or Khalil Mack uh, when needed, clearly.
2: Yeah, much as the theme of the offseason where I have no idea this player is available and they take him and they're always <laughs> pleasant surprises. Same thing with Spiller, with yeah. Salier, with Callahan, not with Kyle Van Noy. You know, he's a guy that you know I think two thirds of the time, if, you, if you're if you watching, by the way, he's the guy in the white sleeves. Uh, so hopefully that helps you because one guy's in red sleeves. Uh, I would say he aligns as an edge guy, two thirds, three fourths of the time, you know, set the edge, contain, whatnot. I wouldn't say he's the strongest against the run by any means, but, you know, there's so much that he does because he's so smart, so versatile that I think there's a lot to that he can bring to the table, obviously. And this is just it's a it's a perfect edge three signing. You know, the Chargers to me were at their best. You know, the best rush I've seen from the Chargers, maybe over the last decade, was the first two ish weeks of the season in 2020, where. They had Melvin Ingram, they had uh, Joey Bosa, they had Echenna and Wosu, and they were just crushing it. They had 33 pressures, just that mm-hmm. trio in the first two games, and they needed to get back to something like that, and I really do think that Kyle Van Noy can can give them at least something like that. I don't think he'll be as good as an edge three as, as Chenna and Wosu was during that span, but I do think he can give them a lot more than Kyle Fackerel, who was, I think, had like half the pass rush productivity as a Kyle Van Noy. so it's Again, it's a smart player, a guy who's you know played a lot of AFC games for sure. The Chargers have a full slate of AFC big time games of course coming up. So I'm very happy with the signing. Uh, they really need to get this done. And I think it just also just takes, like this is good for Chris Rumpf too. Sure as a mentor, but also I think the, if he were the edge three or edge two and a half, I think there'd just be really unrealistic expectations for him that he probably wouldn't be able to meet going from 130th in, you know three different categories to trying to be at a legit edge three edge two and a half that's asking too much of him and the fan base would expect too much and i think if he you know only got 15 20 like if he had five times as many pressures that's still only 20. i think the chargers fans would want even more than that and i just yeah. don't think that's fair to him so now you have kyle van Noy, you can really get chris rum to be your edge three in year three which is i think the perfect plan and just overall i love the aggressiveness for the chargers I think when you know, the two big after draft moves that they've made before, one of them was Matt Slauson, but that's a post draft cut, and then Brandon Flowers, another post draft cut. That just felt like things that fell into their lap. But Kyle Van Noy, Bryce Callahan, it shows you that there was some sort of plan. Now we didn't know this draft night. I had no idea that that was the plan for the Chargers when they, you know, took a nose tackle, they took a running back, they took, you know, players that weren't edge rusher, weren't corner but now that we've seen this plan, it's, it's a great change for the chargers. It's, it's tactical, it's strategic and dare I say smart. So kudos to the whole organization so far.
1: Yeah. I mean, we talked on our last episode about how the, the question mark at edge was just kind of, you know, hanging over the draft class and um, you know, now they have solved that need. So um, really quickly, Tyler, I don't know if you saw, we got a, a big super chat sticker from your mom. So shout out to uh mama Shun, And then uh, your sister Amanda wants to know who your favorite sister is after sending us another super chat. So,
2: okay, so mom, happy Mother's Day, love you too, Amanda. My favorite sister is whoever brings me food in the next forty-five minutes. No, next hour. <laughs> if you can find me food in the next hour. It'll be you. If not,
3: it's got to go to somebody else. Patreon go. exclusive video sister power ranking coming soon. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Per
1: um, yeah, no, I'm a big fan of the Kyle Van Noy signing too. You know, all jokes aside of him looking at like me or me looking like him or whatever um I, I think he really just fits the mold of the offseason I think Brandon Staley has talked about a taking the ball away and getting more turnovers to you know give Justin Herbert more opportunities and that's something Kyle Van Vannoy was talking about you know with Haley Elwood in that on the camera uh segment he did and kind of what has made him you know, so successful over the years, and and he actually said something that made me think of Brandon that like directly. He was like, I have always considered myself an offensive player. Like to me, it's all about getting the ball. It's all about taking the chances and and taking risks to you know affect the game by getting turnovers. And um, you know, I forget the specific stat, but he's got seven forced fumbles, I believe, over the last couple seasons. And I, I think now the Chargers just have all these players who specialize in taking the ball away, which I think is a fantastic you know, model to go after. And then in, it, just in terms of his output as a pass rusher, obviously, you know, he, he's mostly served as kind of that hybrid off ball edge rusher linebacker. In New England, the last two seasons, he was essentially playing 40% of his snaps off the ball and 40% or 60% on the edge, excuse me. Uh, then you look at Kyler Fackrell, who's kind of, you know, a, a supporting guy and then Nuchenna Onwosu, who's been a supporting guy and then started this past year. So I'll start with Kyler Kyler Fackrell. over the last two seasons with the Giants and the Chargers. He's totaled 31 pressures, seven sacks, and six additional quarterback hits in that same time frame. And like I mentioned, as a starter, but as kind of that hybrid player, Kyle Vanoy has totaled 60 pressures, 10 sacks, five additional quarterback hits, and then Uchena Unwosu as well, 67 total pressures, 10 sacks, 20 additional quarterback hits. So um, if you just kind of look at where Kyle Vinoy fits in that regard, I think Uchenna Mosu is kind of a step ahead of him, but Kyle Vinoy is right there behind him and, and purely as a pass rusher in terms of, you know, getting after the quarterback and affecting the game that way. So I do expect, you know, about 85, 90% of his snaps to come on the edge for this team. I think, you know, uh, disaster would have to strike at the linebacker room for him to have to play a ton back there. But like Alex is saying, it's great that he has that option, right? That versatility is definitely valuable. And, you know, they will ask him to drop into coverage from the edge. But I think overall, you're just getting a more productive edge three than, you know, we've had in, in the last season, at least with Kyler Fackrell kind of being a dud. Um, but now Kyle Noy can come in and be that player. And then I think just from a leadership and a culture standpoint, like his value cannot be overstated. Because of the experience that he has with that championship culture, him and JC Jackson and Sebastian Joseph Day and Troy Reader, like all these guys who have, you know, won Super Bowls recently, is just so important to this team. And Brandon Staley talked about that, I believe, after day two, where or might have been day three, actually, where he was talking about the importance of bringing in players and onboarding players from winning environments and being able to kind of set the standard. And that's something Calvin Oy talked about on the Pat McAfee show, when he said, "You know, you can feel that this team has such a sense of urgency to win a championship now. As soon as you walk in that door in that facility, which I love to hear, you know, somebody like Calvin Oy talking about the championship culture that the Chargers are establishing it really means a lot to me because obviously he's been there, done that, and you know he's he's climbed that hill and he and he's gotten atop of that hill, and so." I think from a culture standpoint, he's a perfect fit. I think from an on the field production standpoint, he's a perfect fit. So I'm really excited to see where this goes, and just the flexibility that it's going to give the Chargers as a pass rush is, is something I can't wait to see. You know, we can kick Joey Bosa inside, you can you can kick Khalil Mack inside, and just get after people and have you know whichever of the other edge rusher on the opposite side. So I'm a big fan of this. Again, I, I never really thought that this was kind of a possibility because he's traditionally been in the New England systems. But, you know, that was another thing. He was like, I was really anxious to get out of the New England systems and prove to people that, that I still have juice left and I can still affect the game. So overall, I think this is a really smart signing, and I'm very excited to see how it pans out.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how it pans out as well. And then I think this just works really well for both sides. I mean, obviously Kyle Vannoy is 31. You know, he's not young, but if he plays this, you know, really great season in a Brandon Staley system – then he probably sets himself up for, uh, you know, a decent contract next year. I don't think he's going to get the four-year, $51 million deal from the Dolphins he once got. Um, But I do think he sets himself up to get like a two-year contract, maybe to be a team's uh, edge too. And in the sense of, you know, what Kyle's talked about with comp picks, right? The Chargers kind of set themselves up to maybe promote uh, Chris Rumpf after this season uh, and then, you know, kind of get a comp pick out of Kyle Van Noy. So I think it's a very smart addition in that sense as well. Uh, and then like Steven has said, you know, the Chargers kind of have become like a destination, right? I mean, obviously some of that is Justin Herbert, um, but it's very clearly also Brandon Staley uh, and the fact that yeah. you know, Kyle Van Doy and, and Brandon, uh, Bryce Callahan wanted to come here. Uh, obviously, Khalil Mack was traded here, so he didn't have a lot of choice, but was, was kind of swayed, I would imagine, by, you know, having Brandon Staley in the building and those two kind of go back as well. So I, I think in that sense, uh, just the Chargers becoming a destination team where these teams want to go to when when usually it was the Patriots or it was the Chiefs, um, I, I think is a very notable development as well. Yeah, he mentioned that he talked to Brandon Staley
1: for an hour on the phone before doing his visit. And then obviously, once he got inside the door, he was able to just decide to, to go ahead and sign so. Um, he also got a little bit of recruiting, it looks like, from Sebastian Joseph Day at the NFL Network's uh, broadcasting boot camp, as Sebastian Joseph Day was talking about. So um it just is, I mean, not to say that Kyle Oy is like this big time star player, right? But the Chargers in the past have just never really been able to attract this kind of really solid veteran player who's not necessarily going to be a star, like I mentioned, but just be uh, a great addition to the depth. And I think it, it kind of speaks volumes to. Where Brandon Staley has brought this team,
3: yeah, Kyle Van, Kyle Van Noy and Bryce Callahan are still good. Sean Merriman's still not exonerated on his one big move though. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's. <laughs> I don't yet. think this
1: qualifies. No, nope, uh, no, nope,
3: doesn't qualify.
2: No, I don't think so at all. I just want to address one quick question. That a couple of people, I'm sure have, but from Bolt Brett, um, you know, just, is Kyle Van Noy the starter over Neiman and Ogbong Bamiga. I don't believe that's going to happen. I mean, I guess you never know. But to me, see if I can find a certain play. But he was only a. Inside linebacker type on third down or like deep in the red zone. We're talking like goal line situations. Let's see if I can find the right one here. uh But he's, he's typically not going. To, like he doesn't really play. He didn't really play linebacker for the Patriots or at least inside linebacker. He just reduced. Well, not reduced inside. He's not in a hand in the dirt, but he would play over the B gap and try to rush from there. But he, yeah, like this play right here. But he's not going to start over any of the inside linebackers they have. It's just an option for them, but I don't think they are. And then just, I guess, for what it's worth, you know, Chris Rumpf did this a lot in college, and I didn't see a whole lot from it of of him doing this with the Chargers last year. So I don't even know if they're going to use this option at all with Kyle Van Noy, but they certainly can. But no, I don't think he's starting. I mean, if things if people get hurt, maybe he starts over Neiman and Amen, but he's not going to start for the Chargers.
1: No, definitely not as an off-ball backer. I think, you know, like Alex was saying, that's just kind of a a backup skill set that he has. I think his primary skill set that he's going to bring the Chargers is as a pass rusher. He's listed as an outside linebacker on the Chargers website. And, um, you know, he mentioned on the Pat McAfee show again that, you know, he was really looking for an opportunity where he could really rush the passer more often. And so I think he had the intention of signing here as an edge rusher, as a pass rusher. And I think the Chargers had the intention of of bringing him in to do that. Um, He's going to wear number eight for the team, which is a little weird for me because he is a pass rusher. I'll still never like kind of get over that. I think single digit numbers on pass rushers and Gerald Everett wearing number seven is just weird. Um, But no, I think the starters at linebacker, We'll, we'll get into this in, in the depth chart, right? But I think you can pencil in Drew Tranquil, and then we'll kind of see where Kenneth Murray's health is at, and maybe that's Troy Reader, Maybe that's Eamon Agamagwamiga, like we had been hearing. That, granted, that was before they signed Troy Um, So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second. But Calvin Noy's primary skill set is going to be as a pass rusher for the
0: Chargers. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Um, Matt also asked if they, if they had released the contract numbers yet for either of these two signings, we have not seen them, which is pretty surprising at this point because Bryce Callahan signed on Tuesday, right? Sure. I and think so yeah, I mean, obviously Kyle Van was uh Thursday, so you know, love that Kyle Van decided to sign the day after he recorded, but it's all good. Um, <laughs> no, but we have not gotten any contract numbers yet. As soon as we do, we'll obviously you know let you guys know. I would expect Callahan to be on the minimum contract, um, just based off of his injury history and things like that. Um, but Kavanoy, maybe a little bit more, maybe like a $2 million, $3 million kind of contract. I don't know, but given that he is a pass rusher and um, I would expect slightly more than the minimum at least.
3: Yeah. Um, kind of depends on his Patriots contract because I do believe, uh, our Kyle was talking about, uh, if he does have some kind of like offset clause or language in his contract, then the Chargers could have potentially gotten him for the minimum. But, um, you know, we'll learn, we'll learn more about that as it plays out. Yeah, so the Patriots, I mean, the, the contract that he was
2: cut from, was he cut? Yeah, he was cut. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So his contract then was two years, 12 million. So I, I don't think it'll be that much. And I think it'll be for one year. But that's yeah, what his old contract was.
1: Yeah. Crazy to think that he signed. What was it a four year deal with the Dolphins? Yeah.
2: 451 mm-hmm, 2020.
3: <laughs> Jeez. What was the guaranteed money on that, though? I don't. I don't remember. Total guarantees
2: re- was thirty million.
3: Oh wow! So, yeah, they really took it all on that one. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, I just I just did a search on Twitter and uh, can't find anything about a contract there. So, somebody no. said two point five plus incentives. Incentives that could certainly be the case. I, I can't find anything on Twitter that uh, verifies what he's at. So, yeah. <laughs> Jack want, Jack is asking me how the one-hour phone call was. Man, listen, I wish I could talk to Brandon Staley for an hour. It would be fucking awesome. Um, Follows us on Twitter. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Anything else you guys want to mention here about Kyle Van Wing?
3: No, I think we had everything.
1: All right. Sounds good. So we will uh, get to our depth chart analysis here. Uh, We're going to do this in terms of talking about starters, primary backups, roster locks, people we think are going to be practice squad. So we kind of have it sorted here, um, you know, group by group, as Tyler is sharing this, sharing the Google sheet that we uh, decided to come up. Obviously, there's not a ton of uh, changes on the offense, at least in terms of the starters. So we'll still have Justin Herbert, obviously, Austin Eckler, Donald Parham, kind of listed at – I put big slot here for Gerald Everett just so I could have um, a little bit more clarification in terms of roster things. I didn't want to create another specific category up top for the tight end. So uh, I put big slot for Gerald Everett and then Stone Smart, kind of the practice squad guy, just so you guys can see that. Um, and then Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jalen Guyton, Rashawn Slater. Matt Feiler, Corey Lindsay, Zion Johnson, Trey Pipkins is kind of the starting group. So, um, where do you guys want to start here with the with the offense? I think running back. Yeah. Uh,
3: do Do we need a whole Brandon Peters debate? Uh, I don't think we do. So I think we can start at running back.
2: I, I think it's possible. Isn't Brandon Peters like a pretty big quarterback? Like I know they try to they try to <laughs> kick the tires on. The Miss stick quarterback, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean,
3: here. I thought Keiji Costello was like kind of good in college, though. Versus, I always thought Brandon Peters was bad as someone who's watched a lot of Big Ten football. Um But, but maybe he pushes Easton stick in the preseason. I, I just wonder if they're comfortable with Easton stick as clipboard guy now, uh, and and just kind of want to keep him there. But he is entering the last year of his deal, so if if they really think he's a guy that can push him, it's 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 possible um i i just don't yeah i think he's probably a practice squad player yeah no, brandon I'll, Peters I'll,
1: is definitely a practice squad player i would be shocked otherwise i think the so I, I have on here roster bubble category and then roster bubble two category for those who are watching again uh if you're listening we'll try and kind of explain things as best as we can here um but i i think that it's the distinction i was tra- in my head i was trying to have here with the roster bubble and roster bubble two thing is that um, roster bubble, like you have a chance of making it. Um, roster bubble two is kind of you're on the outside looking in, um, most likely kind of shifting over to that practice squad category. So, the Easton stick thing is going to be interesting, man, because I obviously there were so many people last preseason that were talking about how he should have been QB2 over Chase Daniel. I, I still think it's going to be Daniel, man. I'd be pretty surprised if yeah. they cut Daniel coming out of uh training camp. He's so comfortable in the system. He has got a great relationship with Joe Lombardi and Justin Herbert. The question really is, are they going to be able to cut cut Easton stick this year and free up that other roster spot? Which, you know, obviously the COVID restrictions are kind of lifted. We don't really have to worry about that anymore. So I would very much like to have that other roster spot. I just don't know if they'll actually end up cutting Easton stick.
2: Yeah, it's a toss-up for me Uh, because they kept him last year i'm going to assume that he sticks and they and they keep three even though i think that's an awful set of roster management but i I guess if you're keeping one more of anything quarterback is something i don't like what do you expect from easton stick at this point like you stick him on the roster he leaves and like he doesn't get you a comp pick he's not going to sign elsewhere he's not you know Is he traded, you know, like that's the best value for him at this point is trading him somewhere, but no one's going to trade for him. So it it feels it's a roster spot waste, but I I think they're going to carry three based on what they did last year and just find other position groups to cut down on.
3: Yeah, I, I think they end up keeping three, whether that's Easton stick or it's Brandon Peters. Like, I think it makes sense for them to go two because we know Chase Daniels QB two and it's not particularly close i don't think easton stick will push him for that uh, i think daniel pretty much has that spot locked down at this point so i would rather they keep two but i think based on what they did last year based on how they like stick i i think he just sticks around <laughs> we, we <really laughs> <need> a... <laughs> me and tyler we really both need a, a, new, a new a new uh
1: roster phrasing there with easton stick and sticks around uh, uh-huh. it's all good um all right, so we'll move on to the running backs here. Obviously, Austin Eckler as the mm-hmm. starter. Isaiah Spiller, I think, pretty clearly RB2 at this point. The the mm-hmm. question, obviously, is going to be Larry Roundtree versus Joshua Kelly. Maybe Letty Brown, Kevin Marks kind of, um, you know, get their foot in the door that way. Um, Tyler, what do you make of the running back room? I know you watched a little bit of Letty Brown. And I know Alex has watched a little bit of Kevin Marks, so... Um we'll start with Tyler Man.
2: What do you what do you make of the RB3 spot? I do think it comes down to one of the two players that they have drafted. You know, Larry Rountree being drafted more recently seems like it'd be an edge for them, but I feel like Joshua Kelly like you Larry Rountree is kind of I'm not useless. That's mean. But like okay, Joshua Kelly presents a different skill set than I think Larry Rountree, I I think. At least as a sort of receiving-ish back. Um, I, I'm really clutching red straws here. Uh I, I think Kelly he's is a better athlete. Of, he's a better that's athlete, sure. and that that's that's the skill that, that I, I do think sticks out. Like Roundtree and Spiller. I'm not saying they're redundant because I like Spiller a lot more than Roundtree, but you know, I, I think Kelly is something a little bit different. But then again, you know, they wanted to work with Roundtree early last year, and then it was Kelly, then it was Roundtree. I forget how it finished. I know everyone's talking about Letty Brown. To me, I don't think he's anything more than a practice squad guy, early on at least. I mean, listen, the preseason is a great way for Chargers running backs to find a spot on the roster. That's just always how it's been with Tom Telesco, whether you talk about Brendan Oliver or obviously Austin Eckler. You know, if you show out in the preseason, there's a good shot. But you know, with the investment in Eckler, with Spiller, you know, and then one of these two drafted players, I just don't think Letty Brown makes it. Also because kind of like round It just feels a bit redundant as well. You know, if he's going to make it, it's going to be based off of his role as a nice change of pace guy. He, I think he was top 15 in missed tackles in this draft class. So not bad there, but it mean the people, the thing that people aren't really talking about, because they just watched the, the tube highlights. He was, you know, like a 95.5 pass blocking efficiency. He's not good in pass protection. Um, you could use him as a receiving back, so there's some work there. But he's also got five fumbles this past season, which is not good. So he has to show that he's more than a liability, which sounds mean, but there wasn't a whole lot to see on film outside of that three, four yards in a cloud of dust with an occasional highlight play and some force miss tackles, you know, because, the, the again, the five fumbles, the bad pass blocking efficiency, that's very cuttable. Like if you make that mistake once in the preseason, you're cut. You're gone. You can't give up that sack. I think he allowed two. You can't have five, four, you know, fumbles allowed. So I think the the RB three. I do think they keep three running backs. I don't think it's four, and I think it should come down to Joshua Kelly, uh, just because he's a little bit more <laughs> dynamic than Larry Roundtree. Uh, but it, that one's a, a coin toss for me.
3: So I actually kind of think we, we have Austin Eckler's RB1, Isaiah Spiller clearly RB2. I think they would lean Larry Roundtree over Joshua Kelly um, just because uh, I think you look at special teams value. Joshua Kelly does not have any special teams value as we've seen sure. uh, over and over again. I do think they value having that in an RB3. And I think if you're, talking about who's a little bit more similar to the mold of Isaiah Spiller. It's probably Larry Roundtree, despite, you know, uh, his athleticism not being great. So I think they kind of lean Roundtree more there. The other thing to consider there is of course, one was drafted by Anthony Lynn. One was drafted by Brandon Staley. Like I do think that that kind of matters. Um, so even though it should kind of be a meritocracy, I don't think it is in a sense. So I kind of would slot in Larry Roundtree as the RB three. Um, that probably, well, depends if they carry three or four running backs. I mean, obviously they carried four last year. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they couldn't really rely on Justin Jackson to, to be their RB2 because of the obvious health concerns. Uh, so they sort of felt the need to keep them both. Um, and so obviously when Justin Jackson was healthy, either Roundtree or Kelly was a healthy scratch. Uh, so they probably carry three this year, and I would guess it's Eckler, Spiller, Roundtree, And then... I would guess a practice squad spot comes down to Joshua Kelly, Letty Brown or Kevin Marks. Um, I kind of agree with Tyler in that. I think Letty Brown is a little bit redundant uh, for, you know, what they already have in Isaiah Spiller and Larry Roundtree. If we're kind of penciling them onto the roster. I think Kevin Marks, a lot of people have compared him to um, some of the shorter running backs that have come out of Buffalo uh, in Brandon Oliver uh, and uh, who else? Jarrett Patterson. But I actually don't think he's really like them. He's like six feet tall. Um, So, I mean, to me, uh, just from watching him a little bit, Kevin Marks is a little bit of that Justin Jackson kind of player. Uh, he's a little bit shifty, has the right height. I think they actually ran like identical 40 times at their pro day as well, both 4-5-1s. So for me, I would kind of take Kevin Marks over Letty Brown. Obviously, we're debating a, either a running back four spot or practice squad spot. Um, but yeah, I think if they keep four running backs, it'll be Eckler, Spiller, Roundtree, and then one of those three guys basically toss it up to how it happens in the preseason between Kelly, Brown, and Marks. Uh, and then if they end up keeping three, then I think those three guys are fighting for a practice squad. Yeah, for what I, it's worth, uh, Larry Roundtree was inactive
2: from week 12 on last season. So they did close the season with Kelly ahead of him. That's true. Yeah, I I would like to have a different profile,
1: right? I think Isaiah Spiller, Larry Roundtree, Letty Brown, they're all kind of similar physically, at least profiles. So I would like to see them do Eckler Spiller and then either Kelly or Marks just from an athletic profile standpoint. Um, Yeah. The the draft capital thing is interesting. I mean, the fact that they still kept Kelly active after that fumble against the chiefs is really interesting. There's just like so many moving parts here. Right. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Kevin Marks ends up kind of earning that spot. Like we've seen, you know, in, in the preseason. So I I would like to see them. I would like to see it be Kelly or Marks, but I do think Roundtree kind of slightly considered the favorite, I guess, just because of recent draft capital. Um, Moving on to fullback here, really quickly. I think it's Horvath. I, I don't think Neighbors really has a chance of making this roster this year. If Horvath were just an undrafted free agent, I would maybe see a stronger path for Gabe Neighbors. But I mean, they drafted Horvath like they they went yeah. out of their way to select and make sure that they got their guy, so to speak. And I think he's just gives them more upside as a runner, as a receiving back option as well. And the man is built like an absolute tank. So I'm, I'm excited to see him kind of take on those blocking reps and grow into that role. So I'd be pretty surprised if it were not Horvath. I know I put neighbors here as the primary backup. But I honestly, just kind of talking myself right now, I kind of want to move him over here to roster bubble two. I don't know about you guys if you want to leave him there or backup, but I'd be pretty surprised if Gabe Neighbors made the roster over Xander Horvath at this point.
3: I mean, yeah, they're just they're not going to carry two fullbacks like that's the reality. Um, They're only going to carry one. And I would lean towards Xander Horvath because they made that pick. If he was an undrafted free agent, like Steven said, I think there would be uh, a little room for you know consideration there and the margins would be slimmer and you could just say, oh, well, Neighbors had a great preseason game or Horvath did, and then that person would win. But um, I-, I think the capital that they invested, granted, it was a seventh round pick. So it's not like they took him in like the fifth or sixth round or something, but still for a fullback, I, I think to spend that uh, does say how confident they are that he can pretty much lock down that roster spot. Um, and then I'm curious to see if they do go Horvath at fullback, how that actually affects both I mean the tight end room is kind of set in stone but how that affects the running back room as well because we know Horvath can kind of do a little bit of running back fullback and tight end right He is a little versatile in that way so does having him kind of maybe make a difference in which one you keep between Roundtree and Kelly does it make a difference you know if you're kind of going down the list between Marks and Brown which one you would want to keep uh, just if you're trying to like complement it a little bit uh, so I'm, I'm curious to see if that ends up kind of affecting the running back room as well.
2: Yeah, I'm, I mean, they, obviously, when they drafted Horvath, he was listed as a fullback. So I think that this, you know, where they're going to have him. But I am curious how everything shakes out with how they feel. You know, is McKitty just an inline tight end to them? Is he an H-back to them? Are they using an H-back? Is that Xander Horvath? Is Xander Horvath just a fullback? Is he just a weapon? Or are they converting him to tight end? Like, what are they doing with this group? It's definitely going to be an interesting group. But yeah, I, I think Neighbors at this point has been shown the door. Now they have the capital investment in somebody else. And neighbors was inactive for quite a bit of last season. It was like basically the last 13 games. Yeah. I, I mean they 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 really I, they tried to get neighbors going early on in training camp. And then Steven Anderson just from day one did not let that job go. And you know, they had no choice but to start Steven Anderson, which is great. But you know, I, I just don't think neighbors Sticks around if he wasn't best friends with Justin Herbert, we wouldn't even be talking about this that will stick in my mind if he sticks on the roster. Then we know exactly uh, what kind of power Justin Herbert might have. Uh, But no, I just, it seems harsh to put him on roster bubble too, but it's so either or where it's like you're either Xander Horvath starting or you're just not on the roster because they wouldn't keep two fullbacks. And I think at this point, you know, kind of blending in with the tight ends, you know, they, they knew Jared Cook was going to be on his way out or older. They knew Steven Anderson was probably on his way out, or they wanted to go somewhere else. So I felt like they carried a little bit more weight in the tight end fullback room because of that. But now with Cook gone, you know you have your investment in a young McKitty, you have your two-year investment in Everett, you just drafted Horvath. You know I think they can get rid of at least neighbors and then one extra tight end. Yeah, I think with the tight end room, we'll
1: kind of move on there. Like I think the roles are very clearly defined. You know, Donald Parm kind of your inline receiving. Possible slot flex, Gerald Everett, your big slot, possible inline flex, and then Trey McKitty, kind of your blocking tight end, H back. And so I'm really excited to see his development. I hope he gets more involved as a pass catcher. Obviously, you've got that group over there of uh undrafted free agents. Obviously, Hunter Campmoyer has a year on the roster at this point. Eric, uh, I think it's pronounced Croman Hook, if I'm not mistaken, from USC, and then Stone Smart have not watched any old dominion tape uh, at this <laughs> point you know i, I we'll shame on I you even we'll see if i can even track some down man but apparently he's more of kind of that big slot receiver type as well so i put him as the practice squad version mm-hmm. of gerald everett so um i think they lean towards keeping just the three and then mm-hmm. the one fullback in xander Horvat this year just like you said now we know that McKitty can do more obviously parham taking another leap forward and then, you know, Gerald Everett is a much better blocker than Jared Cook. So I know Brandon Sleely loves his tight ends. I know Joe Brady, former Panthers offensive coordinator, has said tight end is the most important position in the Saints offense. But I just don't think we have that fourth tight end option this year.
2: Yeah, I, I would agree there. I, again, I'm curious who they designate as what. Because again, if McKitty's only in line tied into them, and they actually don't have an H back, because Xander Horvath just gave neighbors as that fullback, then I could see a chance where Kent Moore or Croman Huck make it, but no, nah, I, I think they keep the three, and I think they should keep the three. Um, so Stone Smart's more of the receiving guy.
1: That's what I've heard from other people. Yeah, again, have not watched anything. That's just kind of what I've mm-hmm. heard and seen on Twitter.
2: That's definitely a. I mean, I haven't watched him at all. Again. Old Dominion film ain't available uh, all that much. <laughs> so, I, but that is that is a sneaky shot to make the roster. I can often watch him, but you know, Cromin sure. Hook has like six receptions, and or you know, I think he had like sixteen receptions. Stone Smart, if he's more of a receiving guy, you know, Everett's obviously a receiving guy, Parham receiving guy, but then McKinney is just kind of, at least in terms of last year, was just a pure blocker. So there's a chance, I guess, another receiving tight end like Stone Smart. If he's the only guy they have in that bubble, I think there's a chance he makes it, but. Again, I I still think it is the three.
3: Yeah, I I think it's the three, and then Xander Horvath is your you know fullback tight end uh, kind of guy as well. Uh, if Steven Anderson was still on this roster and he didn't sign with the Cardinals, like that might be a situation where you keep four uh, and then keep the fullback. But like, I just don't think they think Hunter Camp Moyer is going to lock down a roster spot this year. Sure, I you know I don't know a whole lot about Eric Chrome uh, Hook or Stone Smart yet but I don't think they need them to start to make the roster either. I think all those guys are kind of competing for the tight end uh, practice squad spot, and that can be decided in the preseason, Um, you know, depending on who has some of the better games. But uh, yeah, I think it's pretty clearly Gerald Everett, Donald Parham, Trey McKitty, and Xander Horvath uh, in some order. Jack in the chat says he knows a guy who knows a guy with old Dominion
1: film. Uh, well, if you do, please. Send are them you, are, are send we are me. we
3: better are we better? Call a solid for old Dominion film right now because <laughs>
1: they they have two old Dominion guys, man. Like we got to get some old Dominion film at some point. So, uh, yeah. All right, will move on to receivers. This is kind of you know one of the reasons why I'm I'm hopeful that they keep two quarterbacks and and three mm-hmm. tight ends as opposed to last year is so they they could potentially keep six receivers this year as opposed to just five, where your fifth is useless essentially. Mm -hmm. So obviously we know who the starting group is. Excuse me. Uh, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, Jalen Guyton. And then Josh Palmer is a lock as well. And I think DeAndre Carter is in that same group as a uh, return specialist gadget kind of player for this team. Um, Then the question becomes, if they keep six, who is that six player right now? Obviously Jason Moore is kind of the most... Similar body type to Mike Williams, so I have him penciled in there Mm -hmm. as the backup. Obviously, there's the Joe Reed stuff. Maurice French (laughs) uh, showed some interesting things, I guess, as a returner against Houston. So maybe he carves a rollout. He's obviously uh, has a good relationship with Chris Beatty, the receivers coach. Then Mm -hmm. you have kind of the undrafted, the two undrafted guys, Michael Bandy and Trayvon Bradford. So Alex, we'll start with you on this one. Who do you see kind of being that six guy? And do you think they actually keep six this year?
3: If there is a six guy, I think it's probably between more Reed or bandy, just because we saw a little bit of bandy playing special teams last year. Um, So maybe there's some value there. Maybe he has a couple good preseason games. Um, I don't think you, I mean, Bradford has some speed, but I, I don't think they really view him as a threat to make the roster. Um, But I will say, if they do keep five, I'm not quite as worried about it as I was last year, because you kind of had KJ Hill, who uh, was the fifth wide receiver they kept last year for special teams uh, slash wide receiver value, Um, and he was not good at special teams versus DeAndre Carter, very clearly. That's his strength, and that's why they brought him in. So if you keep five receivers this year, I actually don't think it's as bad as when they did it last year. Um, So obviously, for health reasons, you could keep Jason Moore uh, or Joe Reed, but... I would guess based on the guys that they have right now, it's probably five and then you stick two of them on the practice squad uh, between that group. Uh, So I'm I'm fine with that this year, considering it's DeAndre Carter over KJ Hill in terms of special teams value. And Mm -hmm. I think DeAndre Carter can provide that wide receiver value much better than KJ Hill could as well.
2: Yeah, I sure hope so. Watching that game with Steven, the the final game of the year against the Raiders, (laughs) and these guys are gassed and they couldn't do anything with Andre Roberts. I don't even know if he had a target that game. No, he There's was running
1: like, routes out there and just like there was no interest from the defense. <laughs> just hard <Herbert was laughs> out his way. It was sad. It was sad.
2: Yeah. So at least Carter, like that does help with some of that. Again, I don't think the Chargers are going to have, you know, 72 passing reps or whatever it is in a game where guys are gassed, but it would be nice to have someone out right. there who can do a little bit more. So Carter is great. Uh, the year is 2047, and I'm still convincing myself that Jason Moore should make the team. As <laughs> <laughs> wide receiver six or seven. I I just find this, especially especially now with you know only three tight ends and I guess one fullback, I find it so odd that they're going to go. I mean, it seems like they're going to go with five wide receivers, and, I mean, I guess now that you have Spiller, you know, Eckler can be more of a receiver and Spiller can kind of catch passes and Horvath can catch passes. So sure, I suppose a receiving group it's okay, but the wide receiver room just seems so. Like, keeping five just doesn't really make sense to me and no investment in anybody else like it is jason moore like i think by default it almost has to be jason moore i think carter rules out reed i think carter you know if he's also the returner rules out you know french or bandy or whatever so i think if there's a sixth guy i think it's more just because he's actually a receiver that i've seen do pretty well in the preseason sure but i think they go five here i mean they, they invested nothing in this position group um, after Carter obviously but nothing you know as a receiver receiver in the draft in for agency so I think they keep five I think they're cool with that
1: yeah I think they are as well I would love for you know Jason Moore to be a thing <laughs> you know we've seen him do so well in training camp and preseason for like four years running at this point five years <laughs> running and you know listen like he is again like the most similar body type to Mike Williams and um, there certainly was a good connection with Moore and Chase Daniel, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think French would give them, you know, a little bit more speed profile kind of vertically. So I would say it would be more or French just based off of kind of what we know as them as receivers. I would love for Joe Reed to make the roster man at this point. Um, you know, I put him on the, on the first rubber roster bubble spot here, but really I think he's in that second one. And then we can kind of move Jason Moore over there as well. But so I would say more or French would be more likely to make the roster at this point, just because of what they can give you vertically is just more refined than a guy like Joe Reed, who just is a little too similar to the -hmm. three kind of slot receivers they have in Keenan Allen, Deandre Carter and Josh Palmer.
3: I think we also look at like right tackle uh, probably next. That's like where another free agent signing could come if the chargers aren't done after uh, Kyle Van Noy and Bryce Callahan. But I do think that, you know, if you if you kind of get another wide receiver in there, you know, I, a lot of people have brought up Will Fuller. I don't think that's going to happen, but you could probably get some kind of wide receiver uh, who wants to, you know, compete for like that fourth or fifth spot. Because um, right now I'm just looking at the names and it doesn't seem particularly inspiring for why they would pick a six receiver, even yeah. if it kind of does make sense. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's like a post draft one year vet minimum deal that you kind of like give to a guy. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see if they do that, but I, you know, I know why we would want to keep six receivers and I kind of still do, but I feel much better about keeping five receivers in this current format Mm -hmm. than what they started with last year.
2: For sure. Yeah, I agree. I'm really curious what Ficken does with this group because he's kind of in charge of this back end of the roster roster bubble sort of group when it comes to running backs and wide receivers, partially for offense, but also obviously for special teams. And, you know, who knows who surprises him? You know, Joe Reed basically was not given the chance to be a returner at all at the beginning of camp last year. Yeah. And maybe this year that completely changes. Maybe Ficken goes, hey, you know, this guy re- could be really good at this. Let's give him a shot. And then who knows what happens from there. So, you know, I'm really curious to see what he does with running back, what he does with wide receiver, because he will have a big input on the back end.
1: Yeah. And to that point, kind of, you know, leading into the offensive line discussion, Uh, Frank Blakely with the super chat, he says, I think the draft show that they feel the protection and more play action will lead to more deep balls. Would love another speed guy, but it looks like he kind of tailed off there. But strong offensive line, I'm I'm guessing, is kind of where he's going there. Um, And that kind of backs up what we've said for the last couple weeks, right? You know, that we heard, or Arjun heard rather, that people, Chargers people were telling uh, league sources that they viewed the problem in terms of the deep ball production as an offensive line issue and not as a receiving issue. Um, Brandon Staley has said a few times that he really likes this receiver group for them, which kind of points to why they didn't add anybody else too. So um, if the offensive line is better, that has, you know, some great uh, ramifications for the receiving group, gives you more time to to kind of develop those deep routes. So I, I think that is a good point to, to stand on as we uh, lead into our offensive line discussion here.
2: Yeah, no, that's a great call for sure. Watching some of the early stuff the Chargers did, you know, Jalen Guyton's down the sideline going, hello, you know, wide open. And granted, (laughs) I don't think he's the most dynamic deep threat, but, you know, someone is, again, I hope they can fix right tackle. Someone's beating up Storm Norton against the Ravens, and someone's beating up Storm Norton when they're playing the Patriots. And Guyton's down there, you know, there's an option for Herbert who can play it, put it anywhere on the field, and he just can't get there because someone is attacking him. So, Hopefully, you know, with better protection, with Herbert being more comfortable. You know, we had Jason on to break down that Denver game. And Keenan Allen's wide open in the middle of the field, you know, two, three times that game. And Herbert's just not seeing him. So hopefully, hopefully another year in the system, more comfortable. And obviously, you know, third year in the NFL. What did Staley say? The inventory of experiences. Hopefully those, hopefully that really sticks with Herbert. And I, I think it will. Like, dude's pretty smart. And hopefully they can attack more just with better protection more familiarity, et cetera, et cetera.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, I guess if we're going for like this offensive line discussion, this completely hinges on whether they bring in another right tackle. Because if you bring in like a Dennis Kelly or somebody like that, then I think that probably knocks Storm Norton off the roster. Um, I mean, we could kind of debate whether it would do that or not. Um, Obviously, they have some practice squad guys that they, they like, like Foster Sarrell. Maybe he could compete for something in the preseason, but I think he's likely just probably staying a practice squad guy. Um, but yeah, it, it really hinges on that. I How many offensive linemen did they keep total last year? Was it nine? Nine, yeah. So they'll keep nine, nine again.
1: Yeah. You know, two backup tackles, essentially, and two backup right. interior offensive linemen.
3: Yeah, I, I think that, that they end up keeping two backups. So, I mean, you're probably looking at, if Will Clapp being kind of your backup center slash backup interior offensive lineman. obviously they're going to keep Jaimez there. Um, and then maybe if they do sign a right tackle, you're probably looking at like Sally or Pipkins as like the right tackle backups. If they want to face Storm Norton out, um, Mm -hmm. obviously that's kind of like projecting, you know, based on what they do. Um, but I, I really do think they end up going for a right tackle option. So if they do, I think that's kind of the configuration. If we're just talking about these guys, then Storm Norton probably makes the roster as like the, you know, backup, backup tackle at this point. Uh, so yeah, I'm. I'm very curious to see what their actual confidence interval in Trey Pipkins is. Yeah, you know, right now, I think you look at this group and there's just an excess of
1: interior offensive linemen, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. they you can only keep five interior offensive linemen. Your three starters, your two backups. So you have Filer, Lindsay, Zion, and then you have Brendan Hymas, Clapp, and Jamari Sawyer. That's really good depth. I'm. I feel fantastic about that depth, but you know, you only have really three offensive tackles to kind of head into training camp with. I mean, I know you have the uh, Andrew Trainer and Foster Serrell, the undrafted free agent types, but they never really replaced Brian Bulaga. And so Mm -hmm. I know everybody kind of thinks that I'm just kind of, you know, blowing smoke up my ass when I'm talking about Matt Filer potentially kicking out to right tackle. But I think it's a legitimate option because they didn't replace Brian Bulaga. You know, they've prioritized low pressure numbers and high pass blocking efficiency rating at every single turn on the offensive line. So I, I just don't understand how you can head into training camp with this group of tackles, man. I really, it doesn't make any sense to me that a team that has consistently prioritized, you know, those kind of attributes in production is going to head into it and just say, hey, you know what? We're just going to run it back with Trey Pipkins or Storm Norton again. Like that just doesn't, I can't wrap my head around that. And, you know, a lot of people have said, well, Pipkins has improved. Like, he's working with Duke, and, you know, he, he he's going to take another step forward. And, like, that's great. I hope that's true. Mm-hmm. But it's a very similar conversation to Chris Rump. It's not a exactly. smart bet to mm-hmm. make. And so I think if your goal is to get the best five players out there, which it kind of seems like they're taking that approach, then it, you have to kick Matt Filer to right tackle. You do not have a better option at right tackle on the roster than Matt Filer. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, man. Like I'm just, I'm, I'm really struggling to come up with a better alternative than kicking Matt Filer to right tackle and rolling with Zion Johnson and and Jamari Salyer as my two guards. I, I, unless they sign a Dennis Kelly or Derry Williams like that, that's my group. I'm not starting Trey Pipkins or storm Norton.
2: Yeah. Everything really changed with that. Sell pick because now you Zion Johnson plays guard and if Filer's your left guard and Zion Johnson, your right guard. Okay. But then you get failure, who as long as the medicals check out, which again, that is something we don't really know much about, that changes a lot. Like this is a guy you would have taken, you know, if he was in last year's draft, you would have taken him well ahead of Hymas. Well, again, barring the medical stuff, and he would have been a second, third round pick and he probably would be competing and potentially starting for your team. It changed everything. So it really just comes down to whether they took him because they thought he could change the dynamic of their line. Or because he was just best player available. And maybe it is both. But if they only took him because he was best player available. And then eventually we'll figure it out. And he'll just be, you know, we'll Claps replacement. Or, or a really good backup guy. Then, then nothing's changing. But if they took him because they went, wait. This is a guy who can at least play, you know, one of the guard spots. And maybe it's rough to start. But he could legit ball. Like, Staley's all about matchups. And, you know, watching college matchups. And seeing who you go against. And again, you are allowed six pressures I think as a, as a left tackle against you know in, in all of the college football last season granted yeah. he didn't play the whole season but it was what one pressure against Michigan and I think another pressure against I think he went Michigan Alabama, or Alabama Michigan Alabama and gave up like four pressures yeah those, against Will Anderson league.
1: Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo
2: yeah I mean he went through the gauntlet and, yeah. and survived and while I do think he is best suited as a guard you can't help but watch that and go geez maybe he could do it um, but to me, I do think it comes down to Filer staying and them either having composition between Pipkins and Salier for right tackle or bringing in a right tackle to start over Pipkins. At this point, I don't think Filer moving. They're pretty adamant about that. And, you know, I, again, I, I would like Filer to play right tackle. But I guess there's a world where if Filer moves to right tackle and he's not as good as you think he is, and then Sailor's playing one of your guard spots and he struggles. Now you have two problems. Now that's potentially two problems versus one guaranteed problem, which is right tackle, but the Chargers might not want to go with the mystery box and just go with the sure thing instead. it's like, okay, we have four spots locked down, guaranteed, good to go, and we'll help out the tackle versus the mystery box of well, Father can play right tackle. Well, he might struggle. But let's put Celia out there. Oh, he might struggle. I think the Chargers might want to stick with you know what they know. And again, I, I really hope it's a right tackle veteran that comes in next.
3: Yeah, I mean, since the beginning, I mean, even when people like Popper were bringing up Filer for right tackle in March, I always kind of sold the possibility, just because it didn't seem like they were going in that direction. Then you see what they do in the draft, and it's like, Filer to right tackle makes a lot of sense. I mean, it it certainly solves the right tackle problem, even though there's a risk that he underperforms. I, I don't think we would expect Filer to underperform to the extent that you know, what Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton underperforming is, you know, he has played very quality snaps at right tackle before. So for me, um, I, I don't think there's as much risk associated there as like a mystery box situation. Uh, so I think you kind of can move Filer there. It really comes down to organizationally, is that what they want to do? Um, but you just looking at this offensive line, you kind of like would promote uh, Trey Pipkins, or you would probably have Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton as backups then, which is fine if Filer moves to right tackle and then you can kind of promote jaimes or salier to to that guard spot that's vacated by filer right so i think that that makes a lot of sense on paper but like uh, tyler said they might just want to go hey we have four spots locked down and we'll figure out tackle later which has kind of been how they've addressed the offseason so far um but yeah this is what i either i think one of two things needs to happen either they need to sign a right tackle um and and you know go into training camp with that expectation that that player Uh, is going to play right tackle or they probably have to convert filer so i I think those that's one of the two options i like steven said like we've been talking about yeah you can go in with trey pipkins as your right tackle and it'll probably be okay uh you know if you have those four guys near him but if bodies start dropping on that offensive line then that Trey pipkin you, you know you're not able to help trey pipkins anymore uh to the extent so i i just don't think it optimally works that way but um yeah, we'll see whether confidence interval and in Trey Pipkins is one way or another.
1: Yeah, man. I I just think it's it, like Brandon Sadie was talking about you can help tackles easier than you can help guards. That's why they kind of mm-hmm. emphasize the guard position. And I totally understand that. Right. But it's like like guy, you're going against Chandler Jones and Max Crosby uh, on you know twice a year, and you've got all these good pass rushers and in the AFC that you're gonna go up against, and every team has two quality pass rushers at least on the edge. And so I just, I don't know. I just am hoping that there is still another right tackle, at at least a Dennis Kelly type to like
3: at the bare minimum, bring in some competition. So, yeah. And I mean, I, I do think the door on this possibility has closed slightly because of the draft and taking Zion Johnson and taking Jamari Salier. But, you know, I wouldn't count Odebushi completely out of the picture, right? Like if they wanted to, uh, you know, move, kick Matt Filer out and then you can kind of, Put, uh, you could put a there pretty confidently A left guard based on what he did last year. I don't think that that's what they'll end up doing, but I don't think the door is completely closed on that possibility. So, you know, that's something to consider as well.
2: I don't think a door, the door shut on a future return. I just don't think it's going to be part of their, like,
3: yeah, in heading
2: probably, into the season plans. Yeah. And he also, he was, he kind of tweeted like, you know, all love, you know, good for the kid. Yeah. His, his spots pretty much taken. Yeah. So, yeah, they'll keep
1: nine. Uh, we can pencil in a nine there, and then uh, we'll just kind of have to see how that pans out. So we, we spent a lot of time on the offense. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's let's shift to the defense now, and we'll kind of try and go a little bit faster with this group um, and then probably save special teams for uh, another time. <laughs> um, all right, so in terms of the edge rushers, like we talked about, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Kyle Vinoy, Chris Rumpf all considered locks at this point. Any chance either of you think that they keep five with maybe uh K. Egley or Jamal Davis or Ty Shelby? <laughs> <laughs> um, any chance you guys think they keep five? Really roll with four again like they did last year?
3: I th- I think they roll with four. Um, that seems to be the Staley just way of doing things at this point, And I think he just kind of use it as well. If Bosa or Mac go down, we're kind of fucked anyway. <laughs> like I don't think they're gonna really keep uh, a fifth one just for that purpose. I think you look at uh jamal davis who they obviously brought in from the cfl is like a guy that maybe they're impressed with and he can get a practice squad spot um mk egg i mean obviously has been in the system for a while so that's a possibility too but um yeah i, I think that you're pretty much looking at those guys and and <laughs> nice tyler <laughs> <laughs> roster roster bubble four <laughs> dead, to... <laughs> dead to me <laughs> uh um yeah but i think you're pretty much looking at those four guys and then you know between the three four edges that you have the rest on the roster one of those guys is a practice squad guy to promote yeah no and i think that's probably jamal davis considering just how much tom telesco has kind of talked about him this year so that's that's like what like what we talked about with the running backs with letty brown and marks and kelly like the margins are so slim that that could be decided by one preseason game, you know. Yeah. So, I, I wouldn't be surprised.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let's talk about the interior guys next. I think we can safely consider Jerry Tillery, Sebastian Joseph Austin Johnson as locks. That group is starting, and then Otito Ogbonia, I think, is a lock, and Christian Covington as well. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> just because Brandon Staley really likes that veteran presence that Covington brings. I think that they will carry six this year. I think Brandon Staley learned from that down the stretch of how important that depth was. I think that Braden Fajoko would be the best bet there. Um, But, you know, if they do want kind of a more pass rusher type, maybe they keep Gaziano this year or Andrew Brown instead. Um, But I think they will keep six this year, which is really the way that it has to be.
2: Yeah, I think I think they do keep Braden. You know who again, kind of like Kelly Rontray. Fahoko was the guy active over Gaziano. Granted, they didn't have Ogbonia, but I, I still think that Fahoko is going to make it. I think they keep six. I think it'd be a mistake to only keep five.
3: I'd like to keep six too, but I, yeah, I think this is one of those positions where if they keep three instead of four running backs, then you can keep an extra DT. Um, if you keep two mm-hmm. quarterbacks instead of three, you can keep an extra DT, right? So it's kind of making sacrifices at other positions to see uh, more depth at this one, and I think that makes more sense. Um, I just wonder if they view Fajoco as a little bit redundant at this point with sure. everything else that they've kind of done in the off season. But I, I'd love to keep you know see them keep six and obviously keep Fajoco uh, as well. You probably then have Gaziano as probably your lead practice squad guy. Uh, at this point, uh, like he's been in previous seasons as well. Um, Forrest Merrill, I mean, obviously gotten into some games last year, but I don't think they, you know, based on what they've done in the draft and getting bigger DTs and some nose tackles uh, and what they've done the whole offseason, I don't think he's really in their plans, but I do think it's possible that that last practice squad or last roster spot probably comes down to Fajoco or Gaziano. Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, I, I went and watched a bunch of yeah,
1: Otito's film mm-hmm. against, you know, LSU and Hawaii and uh, Utah and ASU. I think from his personal development standpoint, I think you don't want to play him a ton at nose right mm-hmm. away. I think you would rather right. have him put in situations where he's not having to deal with double teams. And I actually really liked what I saw from him as a pass rusher, man. I really did. And I, I think, think he's
2: better at that than in the run stuff. I think yeah. he's
1: definitely a better pass rusher than a mm-hmm. run defender at this point. And I think you can put him as a three tech right away. I don't think he has like the versatility to go out to the five tech against tackles. But use him as a, as a situational pass rusher right away. Get him some occasional run defense snaps. And so I think him and Fahoko are different enough where yep. you can survive there. And I just think that Fahoko's ability to stop the run it, it is far greater than anything else that they have on the roster with Covington, Gaziano, Merrill, and Andrew Brown. So mm-hmm. I, I think Tito is, is different enough, at least this year, where I'm okay keeping you know Covington, Fahoko, and Ogbonnia, who are kind of very similar body types, but I think provide different skill sets. And so that's kind of where I'm at with Tito. i have much. I'm not like. Get him in there on first down, like let him learn time to stop the run. I'd rather see him as a pass rusher right away and then kind of develop that uh, ability to anchor down and play run defense properly, you know, down the road.
2: Yeah, you, you stole, I mean, you literally stole what I was thinking. The, the, them being, you know, they could be penciled in as two nose tackles, but they're very different. And I think, like you said, Bonio yeah. could be that three tech. I like him. His explosive is explosive in this off the line. He's quick. He's got a rip. Much better pass rusher than Fajoco. Conversely, Kvahoku can anchor down way better than Ugboni at this right. point. And I do think that does make them independent enough where you do keep six.
3: I do wonder if they for a backup, particularly like a five tech DT, if they want someone who has like a similar body type to Jerry Tillery, like in the event that something does happen sure. there, um, that could be kind of a that kind of can be a way Gaziano makes the roster. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I think that you kind of these are the five or six guys.
1: Yeah, either way, I think the last spot is Gaziano or Fajoco. And yeah. I do think they ultimately keep six. All right, let's move to the linebacker room, which is very interesting at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you ha- I have Mike and Will penciled in there. That means, you know, mm-hmm. uh, strong side linebacker, which is the Mike, weak side linebacker, which is the Will. So I, I think we can safely pencil in Drew Tranquil as a starting Will. Mm-hmm. And then we'll kind of have to see what happens with Kenneth Murray's uh, health at this point. So if he's healthy, I expect him to get that first round starting nod. If not, then you can kind of get into a Troy Reader, Eamon Ogbond-Lamiga debate.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I still think they carry five. I think that Eamon is kind of that fifth player. Um, but well, again, a lot of this hinges on Kenneth Murray's health. If he's out you know, an extended amount of time, then maybe we get into Cole Christiansen or Damon Lloyd kind of territory in terms of being that fifth linebacker. Again, maybe Kyle Van Noy kind of takes more snaps back yeah. there. But really, right now, I think we can safely pencil in Murray, Tranquil, Neiman, Reeder, and Ogbong Amiga as five linebackers to make the roster.
3: Yeah, I, I think that makes sense in, in keeping those five guys in particular. The Van Noy signing is interesting. Just I don't think they'll keep one fewer because of it, because of Murray's injuries, but um, it might change the kind of linebacker that you keep if you want to just keep Kyle Van Noy as like Effectively, your linebacker five, like obviously he'll primarily sure. be an edge rusher, but you might want to kind of like just keep him back there in case something happens. Um, so that might affect like, you know, that might affect the kind of linebacker you go for between, say, Ogbong Bumiga and Christiansen. Um, we've heard that they're really high on Eamon Ogbong Bumiga, Um, but then after we heard that they've signed Troy Reeder and Kyle Van Noy. Uh, so I'm not totally sure what to think of that yet. Um, but we'll, we'll see how that kind of plays itself out. Um, I definitely think reader is a lock to make the roster, uh, which, uh, is a little bit concerning with some of his past struggles. Uh, if he does end up having to play some significant time because Kenneth Murray, because of a Kenneth Murray injury, uh, or, you know, if you're tranquil over to miss time for some reason, but I think those are most likely our five guys. Yeah, that last, so, I mean, Murray, Tranquil, Neiman, I feel like there are the locks, which is
2: interesting because Ogbang Bamiga, played more than Neiman, but you're not you're not cutting Neiman. That'd be ridiculous. Right. Yeah, um, he's their best special teams player last year. Yeah, so no chance. Even though he might not be as involved with the linebacker core, he's, you know, arguably more valuable than reader Ogbang Bamiga overall. Yeah, it'll, it'll kind of depend on what reader's role is projected to be because in 2021, granted, that's not with Staley. He was penciled in more as a will linebacker. And then with Staley, although it was like, two-thirds of a season he was kind of a mix of the two Uh, to me i think amen ends up being the guy they would go with over reader to be completely honest i do think he's the mike after kenneth murray goes down and reader was just kind of signed to be insurance for kenneth murray or even drew tranquil or you know even amen whoever but murray and tranquil in particular i think reader can just slot in anywhere but i I actually do think amen is the is the primary backup to kenneth murray and not troy reader yeah, I could see that for sure. Um,
1: yeah, I think to Alex's point about Kavanoy, I, I think if Kenneth Murray starts the season on like injured reserve, for example, I think Vanoy's flexibility could kind of keep them from, you know, talking themselves into keeping Cole christian or Damon Lloyd on the roster mm-hmm. and just rolling with the four until Murray is healthy. But um, yeah, so I think they'll keep those five. All right, we'll move on to the cornerbacks. Obviously, J.C. Jackson, Asante Samuel Jr., Michael Davis, and Bryce Callahan are locks to make the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, Brandon Staley said on Saturday that they hold Keimon Hall in very high regard, but he's also a, like, a slot-only kind of corner, right. and then they signed Bryce Callahan. So I, I think that Keimon Hall kind of penciled in as a backup right now, but they also drafted Jasir Taylors and mm-hmm. Dean Leonard, Brandon Sebastian uh, as an undrafted free agent. So, Kimon Hall, kind of iffy right there as a backup, but I do think um, Taylon Campbell probably making it. And then, if they're keeping six, right, Mm -hmm. so you have two spots between Campbell, Jasir Taylor, and then Kimon Hall, Dean Leonard, maybe on the outside looking in. I don't know how you guys kind of interpreted that situation, but that... That to me, I think you can put Jasir as a lock to make it as well. I agree.
3: I, I, I sort of sell the Kimon Hall stock. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I know Brandt Sally said they're high on him, but like his primary role was kind of special teams last year. And like he wasn't right. particularly good at it. And you just drafted two corners who are going to be on special teams for large portions of this year. So that kind of confuses me if you're then saying they're high on Kimon Hall. Um, I would guess that Tevon Campbell's probably more likely to make it. Um, and then, you know, I mean, considering that Jasir Taylor and Dean Leonard were what, the two six-round picks, right? Or uh, Taylor way? was six, Leonard seven. Leonard, yeah, Leonard seven. So, um, I mean, at this point, I would guess that they're kind of keeping one of them because I, I think if you want to keep Tevon Campbell or Kemon Hall, then that probably doesn't leave room for both. So maybe they just kind of took both and then said, okay, well, whichever one is the best in the preseason, best in training camp, then we'll kind of go with that one. And I would probably lean towards Jaseer Taylor there, um, just based on you know what his film has been. Uh, but yeah, it really, those four, I-, I would say, Tavon Campbell's probably a lock still. And then I would say between Keymon Hall, Jaseer Taylor, and Dean Leonard, you're kind of picking whoever shows you the best special teams corner ability out of that group.
2: Yeah, so obviously the 3-4 locks here. I do think Jasir Taylor is going to be a lock as much as a lock could be for a 6th round pick, I guess. Right. But I I do think him he's going to be a slot corner for them. I think his role based on college film does translate very well, both to him being a backup returner, which I know we have on the special teams page, to being a blitzer, to being your slot corner, all that sort of stuff. I think Jasir Taylor is the lock to make it. Uh, So because he makes it and because you do have three potential slot corners here, I don't think Kim hall makes it. So I think Kim hall is out to me. It comes down to Devon Campbell or Dean Leonard Devon Campbell right now. I know it was disgusting last year at times. And for most of like the times he actually had to start, but I do think they will value him as a a veteran rotational sort of piece at this point who does like, there's a lot of new guys in here who don't haven't played now. Did Devon Campbell play really well in the system that he's familiar with? Maybe not to end the year, but I think they're gonna they're going to prioritize that over Dean Leonard. It sucks to have you know, to for Dean Leonard to maybe be a practice squad guy, but this guy is really really raw. Like he had one true starting college football year last year, the year before that he had like a hundred coverage snaps or whatever, and there's just a it's gonna take a long time to get him up to speed. Maybe he shows out in training camp. Maybe he is really good in the preseason. And he makes it over Campbell, wouldn't surprise me. But Dean Leonard has a long way to go. And it's going to be, you know, seventh round pick. All expectations, no problem. He doesn't have to be good this year. But I think they know they're going to have to take one year, two years, three years to really get him to where they want him. I think Tavon Campbell, while he's not the greatest option, he's certainly not a young option. You at least kind of know what you're getting with him. And he does bring something to the team. I think, you know, a lot of these guys. When you put starters in front of these guys, the backups now become more valuable. Like Michael Davis is not really going to be the starter as much anymore, but I think he's going to be better this year because he doesn't have to be that guy. And I hope right. Javon Campbell, as the guy who you know had to st- cover Justin Jefferson, like he won't. Hopefully, <laughs> he won't. Was so have to do, and it was awful, but hopefully he won't <laughs> have to do that this year. And so that kind of makes him more valuable because at the beginning of the year they're using him as a blitzer. He's forcing two fumbles against the Chiefs. Like there's a role for him on the team. Dean Leonard, sure. it's going to take a while. And I think Dean Leonard, you know, I'm rooting for him, but I think he's the one look outside looking in. So I think Hall's out. I think Leonard versus Campbell is the really only competition. And I do think Campbell ends up taking it. Yeah, you know, I
1: think Campbell as your fifth corner is completely fine. And I think if you have Campbell, Callahan, and Taylor, I think that gives you a, a nice balance of, of size, of slot, of tackling, of coverage. And so I I think that's kind of the way it ends up being as well. So um, I liked what I saw from Taylor. I haven't studied um, Dean Leonard yet, but I think Taylor gives you some, you know, slot flexibility. I think he gives you that tackling that they really like. And then I think you can kind of, you know, work on the rest. And he's probably like their Ryan Smith this year, right? Where he's like their primary gunner, his primary special teams kind of player. So I think we'll see Taylor be that six cornerback. And then you have Campbell Callahan as their, uh, you know, four and five. So, um, again, Callahan kind of exclusively like a a slot guy, although he did have a really nice interception on Mike Williams as an outside (laughs) corner in 2020. Um, So I I think he has some outside flexibility, but, yeah, mostly a a slot guy. Let's talk about the safeties here. We'll kind of wrap it up. And then we'll do special teams on another episode. So obviously Derwin, Nas, JT Woods are safe. I think that Mm -hmm. they'll keep four this year. And I think that means Alohi Gilman is kind of on the outside looking in. Um, When talking about the safety position, Brandon Staley didn't even mention Alohi Gilman this year. So uh, I think he's kind of getting the KJ Hill treatment that way, uh, at least in terms of, you know, Every time Brandon said he was talking about the receivers last year, he never mentioned KJ Hill. So we knew he kind of like was mm. at least as a receiver, you know, on the outside looking in and then, you know, the returner stuff was dumb. But anyways, <laughs> so anytime he's talked about the safeties after the draft, it's always been the four here and Elohi Gilman kind of on the outside looking in. And I think that makes sense, right? Because mm-hmm. again, just getting different body types, different profiles with, <laughs> Derwin, Nas, Mark Webb, JT Woods. And again, Alohi was, you know, an Anthony Lynn draft pick, not a Baron Staley draft pick. So mm-hmm. I think they keep four, maybe stash Alohi on the practice squad if they can do that. But I think these are the four uh, safeties for sure.
3: Yeah, no, I was just going to say there's a little bit of a round tree Kelly dynamic here where it's just like, well, I mean, Mark Webb was the guy they took last year. And then Alohi Gilman, like Stephen said, was kind of an Anthony Lynn draft pick. Um, like sort of admittedly a bit of a reach at the time. And now they've taken JT Woods, uh, Nasir Adderley, obviously kind of playing in his last year, probably here. Um, I just don't see a way that although Eagleman makes a team could be like the perfect practice squad player um, if they wanted to go in that direction, but they kept four last year, right? They didn't keep five. Yeah. I kept four. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine it's the same thing again. Um, and I, I would probably favor Mark Webb over Alohi Gilman as well.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I know people are like, oh, Alohi Gilman was safety three last year, but it was kind of by default. Webb was hurt, and they had no other choice, really. So I think, I think Alohi's on the outside looking in. Mark Webb was phenomenal in training camp before he got injured. So I, I do think if that continues, then I think Webb is going to be pretty awesome for the team. Yeah, four, four safeties works for me. So we got 25 on defense and then 24 on offense. Is that what we ended up with? Yeah, 25 and 24. 49. So yeah.
3: we have a kicker, kicker punter, punter,
2: and... Holder or long snapper.
3: <laughs> long snapper. Okay, so we're 52. And then... Oh, yeah, me. One other spot up for grabs. <laughs> one other spot up for grabs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that's great, though. Like,
2: we, we worked it out where there's wiggle room for one more spot and so Maybe that's
3: a, a
1: fifth edge rusher. Maybe that's a sixth receiver. Mm-hmm. Fourth tight end, if one of those guys, you know, kind of earns a spot. Fourth running back. running back. Yeah, that's kind of my. Yep, yep, yep. That yep. About right. That's what <laughs> um yeah, just kind of getting back to Mark Webb for a second. He's he's kind of my favorite uh, second year player that I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to watching this year outside of Slater and Sammy Jr just because of everything he was doing in training camp and man was getting an interception like every day. And it felt like at practices. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think he just gives them some really nice flexibility as somebody who can cover the slot, play in the block, play in the box, excuse me. And um, you know, I'm really excited to see where he goes this year. And I think his, his health last year was really the only reason why he wasn't obviously making an impact. So mm-hmm. um Man, I feel really good about this defensive, about this defensive death, man. I really like the way that Brandon Staley has has turned this over and Tom Telescope, of course.
2: Yeah, no, this is a lot better. I know the Chargers lost some guys really early, but like, you know, Harris, Marshall, like, I feel so much like it seems like each position has a backup that's either a legit free agent they brought in or a draft pick. It seems like at, at each spot, offense or defense, there's someone that they've invested something legitimate in. And it, it just feels good to know, like, come on, like Salier, Clap, Hymus, like that's your how off. Like, when was the last time we had an interior that was this good? You know, we're talking about two of these guys potentially starting for the team yeah. know, in a pinch or whatever and feeling good about it. It's it's great to see this team do have this kind of depth, I think. I,
3: I mean, yeah, we're talking about uh, an interior and probably backup tackles that are better than our 2020 offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a great scenario situation to be in. Um, I do think running back and if you're talking about offense and maybe cornerback a little bit on defense are the two areas where we have like the most flexibility or most uncertainty, I would kind of say in terms of making these roster predictions. Um, But, you know, I'm curious to see how it plays out in the preseason. I think that's going to be the big determiner for some of these uh, debates we've had down the depth chart. So it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Somebody said that
1: Mark Webb isn't fast enough because he was getting cooked by Travis Kelsey. It's <laughs> Travis Kelsey. <laughs> it's Travis Kelsey. For everyone. What are we doing here? Come on, man. Michael Davis was getting cooked by Travis Kelsey too. Like, come on. And Michael Davis runs a four three. Oh my gosh. All right. So no, nah, I'm I'm really excited about this roster, man. I, I think this is probably the deepest roster that we've had uh for the Chargers since like i was in middle school since lt was on the roster like i really feel that way so i just i'm so excited to watch this there's so many good training camp battles i think we can look forward to and all this depth is just going to be so important this year especially as the afc is kind of uh loading up on it so it looks like we got uh one last super chat question here matt meter mitri i don't know i i don't know uh let me know how you say that Designing Van Oy and Callahan changed anyone's opinion on the draft? And then he
2: specifically mentions Spiller in the fourth. Um, I feel I mean I feel a lot better about it because again, at the time we didn't know, and now we know. So there was a strategic plan, I think. And that's great. I think it does change my opinion more favorably, but the last thing they need to do is get a right tackle because again, they didn't just need an edge rusher, they didn't just need a corner. In the fourth round in the third round they also needed a tackle at some point they don't have that so while i do view it more favorably uh they do need to get a tackle for me to be like okay now i see the whole plan
3: yeah no i think it's definitely made my opinion on spiller in the fourth better than where it was when it happened where i angrily left my house uh, and vowed to never come back Wow. Um, so I was pretty Strong mad. Did he date your sister? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the only child, but uh no. <laughs> did he date no. you? No, maybe I don't know. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I I it makes the it makes my feeling more positive on the draft sure. for sure. Um, like Tyler said, they do still need to get a right tackle. I do think there is something still to be said about you know, you could have still gotten like a four-year contract of a guy that's like cheaper if you took that in the fourth round and then took a running back in the, you know, fifth. So there's, you know, draft pick value there, like Arjun has talked about, of getting like cheap contracts at premium positions. Um, But no, I think it's definitely made the Spiller pick a lot more understandable. Yeah, for sure. I I think the Van Noy signing for me has more like
1: draft ramifications than the Callahan signing does, because I feel like you know, were, you're not getting better than Kyle Vannoy in the draft. You're just not. Um, you know, even if you're taking like a, a MyJ Sanders or D'Angelo Malone in the third round, who, players who were on the board, like they're not going to be better than Kyle Ooy this year. So I think Vannoy definitely changes things more than Callahan does. I do think with Callahan's injury risk and age, you could have found, you know, a, a similar kind of player in the draft. So, I, again, I, I felt positive about the draft before this, you know, really the edge rusher concern was was really the only reason i was kind of like knocking it and now you have you know you have kyle vannoy so um really anxious to see how how the cornerback room pans out obviously if bryce gallin can stay healthy then he's a perfect fourth corner for your team so um yeah i i don't think it necessarily like changes a ton but yeah, i feel much more at peace and comfortable with where the chargers are at outside of right tackle, I think they don't really have a roster
3: hole. Like I, I don't really see one.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh, There's some roster holes, but I mean, not maybe linebacker, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Right. All
2: right.
1: So I, I, I don't know. We'll see. There's, uh, there's going to be some film breakdowns coming uh, from a bunch of us as well. So I'm going to dive into uh, Tito's film and potentially do that later today. Um, and we'll talk about special teams. as somebody's asking me about punter on a later date because uh, some of us have to leave. Um, but, yeah. So thank you guys so much for tuning in on a Saturday. We appreciate you jumping up early with us and, uh, you know, watching the show. As always, if you're wat- listening to this, leave us a rating or a view. And we always really appreciate that. And, uh, we'll talk to you guys later and we'll, um, I don't know. We'll probably do Wednesday, I guess we'll figure it out. Anyways, talk to you guys later.